This is SG2 Perspectives, a conversation with SG2 experts and industry thought leaders about the biggest trends in healthcare and what we expect that's going to mean for the future of healthcare delivery. All sales calls started out with, we're going to leverage this technology to make the work of your staff easier. Looking back, very little of it leveraged anything other than another burdensome piece of technology for a nurse or, or anybody else on the team to carry around with them to keep track of. Welcome to SG2 Perspectives. I'm your host, Trevor Durin. Today's episode is about a topic that's one of the top priorities for health systems, and that's workforce retention and engagement. We're going to talk about that through the lens of technology as an engagement tool, which is a strategy that's getting more attention now. To lead us in that discussion, we have Anna Kiger, the Chief Nursing Officer from Sutter Health. I also asked Janelle Kwan from the SG2 Intelligence team to join us. She recently co-authored a briefing about workforce solutions focused on AI and other technology enablement. So we'll get a local example and a national perspective. Anna, I'll start with you. Tell us your story and a little bit about Sutter Health. I've been a registered nurse for over 38 years. I graduated from West Virginia University School of Nursing in Morgantown, West Virginia, where I started my nursing career at WVU Hospitals. It was a wonderful place to start a career. It was attached to a medical school, nursing school, pharmacy school. I was exposed to that full academic medicine introduction into healthcare, and I really look back on those years and think those are some of the best in my life. I soon realized practicing as a nurse, I really wanted to pivot to a leadership role. I spent the next few years getting my graduate education, including a doctorate degree in nursing practice to prepare me. In the last 25 years, I've gone from being a practicing nurse at the bedside to a frontline nurse leader to chief nurse officer to the chief nurse officer of two large corporations, one for-profit healthcare system. And today I'm the system chief nurse officer at Sutter Health. Sutter is a not-for-profit integrated health system located in Sacramento, California. We operate 24 large hospitals and five medical foundations. We take care of about 3.5 million people a year. And one of our big service lines is labor and delivery. And on an average day, we deliver three kindergarten classes of babies. Imagine that, three kindergarten classes a day. We do a lot of other quaternary transplant care, neuro, heart. Anything across the age continuum is delivered through our integrated health system. I've been with Sutter for about six and a half years, and it's been a wonderful experience to both work in California and to work for Sutter Health as their system chief nurse officer. I understand throughout that journey, you've increased your interest in technology as you go. How have you applied your interest in technology as now a clinical leader? I think back to my early nursing career, I've always been one to go towards the newness of something, whether it was equipment we were using to take care of patients. I remember my first electronic health record implementation in the late 80s, early 90s. I was excited about that. I thought how unique that would be to stop documenting on paper and flow sheets and move to an electronic environment. Certainly, lessons were learned there. I'm a big proponent of evaluating technology and deciding where there are pieces of technology that can make healthcare better, whether that's in a hospital or in a community setting in someone's home. I've always gone for it. I will also be honest and tell you I'm a little bit on the geeky side. I was very early adopter of my first computer back in the mid-80s. 
Janelle, I can see why you wanted to interview Anna as part of your research. Can you share with us maybe a couple of the key findings as you talk to Anna and others across the country around technology-enabled workforce solutions? And then we'll come back and get more details from Anna on some of the Sutter stories. Yeah, Trevor. When our research, a real big theme emerged, and that was over the last few years, we have seen a rapid uptick in the adoption of AI, specifically to support the hospital workforce across applications and across different roles, both clinical and non-clinical. AI is evolving from something that was historically a pilot project to, in some cases, solutions that are being adopted across a larger system or across sites of care. A big driver of that is really the reckoning among health systems that these workforce challenges are going to continue and worsen. There has to be some sort of reimagining of how you deploy your existing workforce. And AI has demonstrated a potential to support a variety of different care models or redesign efforts. Key to remember, AI, by and large, it's not going to reduce your overall headcount. It's really intended to serve as a workforce augmentation tool to help support your existing workforce. Where are there ways it can free up capacity and allow staff to complete some of their day-to-day responsibilities in a shorter period of time? To answer your other question, why Anna? We learned so much from her in our conversations, but really her unique background, the tech geek, as she says, along with her clinical training and role as a clinical leader is just a really unique expertise that I know our members will benefit from and use it to really inform how they make decisions around adopting technology, how they vet that technology and how they integrate it. When we were gathering the research, that was a common pain point. When technology adoption often failed, it's because clinicians were not included in that conversation. This is despite the fact that they're often the intended end user. Anna, we'll come back to you and focus the discussion, maybe not exclusively, but think about some AI solutions, because I've certainly heard from others that if this isn't to reduce headcount, but to better support my team, well, those are exactly the kind of things we're looking for right now in terms of retention for a workforce that's been on the front lines and had a really tough couple of years. And it was hard before the pandemic. Workforce retention has been a challenge for a long time. How are you and Sutter thinking about AI as a tool for workforce enhancement and engagement? I have to be honest with you, 2020 was a year of healing and taking care of our communities. We did not have a lot of time in 2020 to really think about where we were going other than caring for those individuals that came to us. As 2020 ended and we came into 2021, we looked back and one of the pieces of technology that we adopted really quickly because of the pandemic was telehealth. And it's one today we would not walk away from. We are committed to it. It's become a big portion of how we provide care to individuals. When we look back in 2019, we did less than a thousand telehealth visits in the year. And when you look at today's healthcare business and at Sutter, we're doing about 1.3 million telehealth visits a year in 2021. And today we're averaging about 170,000 telehealth visits a month. When you think about an organization the size and scope of Sutter Health taking care of 3.5 million people, we realize that there's other pieces of technology that we probably need to revisit in 2022 and consider adding to our portfolio of technology to care for patients partly because the customer wants to receive their care in different ways because they experienced it during the pandemic with the telehealth platform. You don't have to take a day off from work to go see the doctor. You just need to be in a quiet area of your office for 15 or 20 minutes to have your video visit with your physician. And you can basically get a video visit on demand fairly soon where you might have to wait days or a week or two to be seen in an in-person clinic visit. The customer is demanding that prevent 
preventative provider care can be delivered telehealth. But there are other things in our industry that we can do and leverage technology today. And one of the outcomes of this pandemic is the burnout that we're seeing from our frontline caregivers. And that is any job title of anyone working in a healthcare setting that touches patients and delivers care has gone through a really horrific experience working in the front line. We're looking at technology that will lighten what we ask that front staff to do. For example, is there technology available today that could take the vital signs of the patient continuously or the infusion of the IV fluids into the patient? And could those numbers be sent into our electronic health record automatically rather than asking another individual on the healthcare team to go collect that data on a pencil and a piece of paper and then transcribe it into the electronic health record? We call that technology intraoperability. We want to be sure that the types of equipment that we have in our patient care environment come with that interoperability component to where transactional work no longer has to be done by one of our team members and that information can flow straight into that electronic health record. You take that just one example there and you take the minutes out of the day on that shift where that individual had to go to around 20 or 30 people and collect all that data and then go find a computer terminal to put all that data into the computer terminal is hours out of an eight or 12 hour shift. And if we could put technology in place that interoperability-wise collects that information and continuously sends it in to our electronic health record, we can take all those hours that were transactional in nature, catching a number, documenting a number, putting in the record, and now put it back into patient care, sitting at the bedside, talking to patients and families about the plan of care, what we're working on today, what goals they have today, and what we think we'll be doing tomorrow, educating them on options for discharge planning whether that's a choice to go to their home or a choice to go to some other location like a skilled nursing facility. Those are things we need to give back to patient care and leverage up this technology instead of human beings doing some of this transactional work. I've never heard it framed that way of turning transactional time into relational time. That's exciting and really engaging from an employee perspective. I love it. It couldn't have all been rosy. That's a lot of technology to implement. Give me a few lessons learned. As Janelle mentioned, we've certainly heard that AI can sometimes seem like a black box to clinical leaders. What are some other key takeaways that you've learned along the way? I can tell you in 38 years, the number of sales calls I've had about new technology coming into the marketplace for us to consider. And all sales calls started out with, we're going to leverage this technology to make the work of your staff easier. Looking back, very little of it leveraged anything other than another burdensome piece of technology for a nurse or anybody else on the team to carry around with them to keep track of. I can think back on some things that really sounded good out of the gate. You go away and visit another organization that's implemented and you say, well, that's fine, but we don't have that, that or that connect to it. So it can't be that seamless for us. You have to know where your needs are, where your pressure points are with what work individuals are doing in the delivery of care. 
you have to look for technology that solves those gaps. Not all technology will work everywhere, and a little technology will work really well in most cases. You have to figure out where can you truly leverage technology that it doesn't become more burdensome. For example, double documentation of those vital signs. You would want to find a piece of technology that worked with your electronic health record, both receiving and sending information and alerting staff members that one of the numbers coming into that system now was not favorable for that patient's progress to wellness. Leveraging technology, I get a chuckle out of it when I hear it. Your frontline staff, when they are given an opportunity to see some of that technology and give their initial thoughts and feedback, some of them will say that'll never work. Or some of them will say, I can't believe somebody finally figured out how to fix that problem I've been dealing with for 20 years. It's kind of an interesting discussion when you go look for technology. But my rule of thumb is I need to know where the pressure points are, where the gaps are, and where there's those kinds of transactional pieces of our work that could be done better with technology and then go look for those companies that can fit that gap. And I will tell you, they may not always be a known health industry vendor. It may very well in today's market, particularly in 2022, be a solution coming from a small startup company, which we have looked at in the past at Sutter to solve some of those gaps we've had in clinical care. Anna, do I remember correctly that you also give both a venue and encourage your frontline staff to be kind of the co-creators and own some of the visioning of what those technology solutions could be? That sounds like another great engagement opportunity. I am really glad that at Sutter Health, our former CEO, Sarah Crevins, really believed that we needed to have a chief innovation officer on the senior team. About the time that I joined Sutter in 2015, we also got our first chief innovation officer. And he came from a rich background in design and innovation. And he's been a great partner of mine since joining Sutter. We are totally open to anyone on our team at any level coming forward and saying, a lot of people struggle with this issue. We've looked at several solutions. We can't seem to find a perfect partner to solve it, but we do have a staff member who's figured out how to solve this on their own. And we would send them to work with our design and innovation team to do some prototyping and to come to a device that would certainly not FDA clearance, but something we could take forward to a venture capitalist or to a startup company and say, this is worth investing in and developing. Anytime I'm out rounding in the hospitals and talking to our frontline staff and providers, I'm always asking, what are some things that you struggle with every day that you wish we had a solution for? And that list is populated long, many items by the time I walk through a single hospital. And those are the staff members that I would call upon when we have these moments of we need to find a solution for this or we need to select a piece of technology. Those are the folks that I go back and say, we met a few months ago when I walked through your hospital. You explained to me a problem you had in clinical practice and you had an idea to fix it. I'd like for you to come forward and spend some time with our design team and figure out how to prototype and come up with a solution to that. We're all about that side of engagement with our staff. They know the solutions to all the problems out there. And we just need to listen to those solutions and then help them take those solutions to actual implementation and practice. Up to and including finding a vendor or a startup that would be interested in developing that new product. If nothing else, that sounds like fun, interesting, engaging work. If you're spending a little bit of your time doing that, 
and the rest of your time doing the really tough patient care stuff. So it sounds like a nice alternative way for frontline staff to spend a little bit of time. Janelle, Anna mentioned that there's a lot of potential applications here. Nationally, where are we seeing AI make an impact today and where are we expecting it to make an impact in the near future? The potential applications for AI are widespread across both clinical and non-clinical, but their success is contingent upon really being thoughtful and intentional around the end user and the clinician. In terms of where we're seeing it now, though, we're actually seeing a lot of early headway in some of the non-clinical roles. Revenue cycle management is a good example of that. There's vast amounts of data. It's rules-oriented in many ways, and it's often manual. That has created a nice opportunity for AI when you think about things like claims processing, paperwork, claims adjudicating, kind of that front end eligibility. And we found with a lot of health systems that is or in many ways maybe their jumping off point because they can potentially realize both a revenue and an expense benefit. And it is one of the few areas where we would say in AI there is a potential reduction of headcount. When we've talked with organizations, that's not the attitude they've taken with it. They've tried to use that capacity to really bulk their staff with additional skills that allow them to work front and center with patients. Think of financial counseling, navigation. On the clinical side, I think in the near term, you can expect it to see AI play a larger role in things like triaging, patient education, being able to help symptom management or diagnostic support. Imaging is a great example of error where there's widespread use of AI. And then also on some of those operational parts, whether it's centralizing of scheduling or helping clinicians manage inbox and questions and routing them to the right provider. Longer term, expect to see more of it in actual clinical decision making, five years or more out. Can we leverage AI to potentially proactively identify patients at greater risk of certain conditions? Can we use their health information and history to identify who is at greater risk of needing additional supports, interventions to help them adhere to a care plan or medication plan? And there's been a lot of movement and advancement in natural language processing. Is there a way for it to play a key role in charting those patient-provider conversations, that information being able to be uploaded to EMR? Seeing it in small doses, but that in the longer term is a great hope. Lots of potential. Potential, but there is going to need to be a lot of conversation and consideration of who uses it at the end of the day. Do they understand how it works and why they're using it? Janelle, about five years ago, Sutter Health partnered with Google and we implemented the Google Glasses. They set a clear glasses and it has a microphone on the side of the glass arm there. We implemented that with about 1,500 frontline providers, of which a lot of them were nurse practitioners in our clinic setting. And they began talking, you know, like, Janelle, it's nice to see you in clinic today. I see your blood pressure is this and your weight is this. Well, as that clinician was speaking, the Google Glass is transmitting that dictation to a scribe to put it into the medical record on behalf of the nurse practitioner. And in the right eye, the image of the EPIC medical record comes up so that the provider can see in one eye the image of the medical record and in the other eye see the patient right in front of them. And there's no laptop between the provider and the patient. One of the biggest complaints we've gotten with the implementation of the electronic health record is the nurse and the doctor are talking to the computer while they're speaking to me, they're not looking at me. The Google Glasses was a great piece of technology that entered into our clinic foundations to help our providers port that dictation over to a scribe or to natural language dictation that you mentioned. The provider doesn't have to be scrambling through the various pieces of our electronic health record. They can ask the scribe, I see Janelle was here three months ago. Can you pull up her EKG from three months ago? And that scribe pulls it up and I now see it in my right eye. That is a great 
great example of leveraging technology well to allow the provider to keep that eye-to-eye connection with the patient, keep the conversation, that visit flow going while a scribe navigates the electronic health record and captures that dictation live. That allows the provider to stay focused about delivering care. And that is great. And we've done a few other things like that in healthcare that have been truly great additions to how we work and how work is done. I love that example. Technology is actually making the care more personal. That's not a connection point we often make, but that is one we hope to see continued wider spread long term. You've both said there's so many possibilities here. Anna, give me a couple of the top priority problems that you're evaluating AI solutions for now that you hope are on the near term horizon to implement at Sutter. We are in the early phases of looking at technology that will lighten the burden of work that many of our team members perform, whether they're clinicians or they work in a support office setting. It's almost transactional in nature. Is that not where you start to hand it over to technology? Right now, coming into 22, after two years of a pandemic, we will spend all of this year and probably the next five years, is my guess, healing what's happened to the healthcare workforce. None of us have experienced a pandemic. I know many people who have experienced major national weather events. I'm a Hurricane Katrina evacuee, and it took more than a decade to get over that. This is a global pandemic. It's going to take a generation. And when we look at the workforce today, they're all burnt out. They all feel their life has been disrupted, turned upside down. And we're trying to bring joy back to work. And one of the ways for people to enjoy what they do is to have a great day at work. What is it that is painful for each one of our team members to have a great day at work? Those are the pressure points that we need to figure out where technology or true AI would enhance and make their experience as a team member better. And that's how we're going to heal this workforce. I would be surprised in 2022 if we didn't see a lot of technology come into the healthcare industry and into many other industries that really solve working remote effectively. If you're in a hospital or foundation setting, working efficiently and at a high level of quality with that telehealth platform, and then thinking, how has this experience changed how the customer wants to receive their health care? And we're going to have to meet the customer as well as heal that workforce that went through this horrific pandemic. I certainly want to look at artificial intelligence in any of the clinical care we give. We have a large EHR system with over a decade worth of data in it. And we need to step forward into the world of AI and using what we know about our patients to make sure that we are giving the best quality care that we possibly can, that big data AI world. And then for me, as the system chief nurse officer and being responsible for about 15,000 registered nurses, I want to use artificial intelligence where I can to figure out what our workforce is going to look like in the future. I think population health is here. The biggest bubble of the baby boomers is no longer coming. They are here and in big numbers, and they want to receive their care differently today than they did three years ago. 
we're going to need a different workforce going forward, one that's more population health focused, risk mitigation, managing patients with very high risk conditions that need a lot of care coordination. And for me, I need to know in the next three to five years how our workforce might look different to meet that population demand. That's fun. And I haven't heard that as a idea solution, but I think it makes tons of sense. Thanks for sharing your perspective today. Thanks for sharing some stories from your background and from Sutter's. And if I was a nurse, I think being on your team would be about as engaging and fun as it could be right now. But I'm with you thinking that this is a 2022 initiative to heal the workforce is not right. It's going to take longer. Thanks for sharing that. And thanks so much for joining us on SG2 Perspectives. You're welcome. And thank you. Thanks so much for listening to SG2 Perspectives. As always, I really value your feedback, input, comments, or ideas for episodes, and you can reach us at sg2perspectives at sg2.com. Additionally, I recommend that you check out some of the other Visient podcasts, which cover a range of clinical and operational areas. Those can all be found at visientinc.com backslash podcasts. Mm-hmm.